Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. This episode kicks off National Suicide Prevention Week, and Sound Minds partners at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention also have a number of events throughout the week aimed at helping you start the conversation about mental health. So check out hashtag RealConvo to follow these events and discussions. And for more information and resources, head to AFSP.org slash national-suicide-prevention-week. So today we are talking with Jesse Leach, perhaps best known as the singer of the metalcore band Killswitch Engage. Metalcore is a genre that combines elements of extreme metal and hardcore punk, and Killswitch Engage is considered one of the greatest metalcore bands of all time, with their 2002 album, Alive or Just Breathing, considered one of the greatest metalcore albums of all time. And Jesse is also in the heavy metal band Times of Grace, who just dropped their second album, Songs of Loss and Separation. One review of the album said, The diverse sonic atmosphere found on this album is a rare blend of ethereal melancholy, slow-burning riffs, and faint metallic hardcore aggression. That's a great review. And they just shared a video for one of the songs from the new album called Far From Heavenless. So check them out at timesofgraceband.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And during our conversation, Jesse and I hit on a few important and difficult topics. In a previous interview, Jesse and I had talked about how his grandfather had struggled with bipolar disorder and how people who struggle with mental illness and their families often find it difficult to find the language of mental illness. How do we discuss what we are going through or what our family members are going through, especially if we don't fully understand it ourselves? And Jesse talks about his journey towards better understanding and expressing his own struggles. Jesse explains how he suffers from both anxiety and depression, and how at times he has coped by self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. But Jesse explains that at this point in his life, it is his anxiety that he particularly struggles with. He describes anxiety as the beast that he still deals with. And one of the things that Jesse described both contributing to and being worsened by his anxiety is what he calls imposter syndrome. As an example, he becomes anxious as to whether or not he is somehow a fraud to the point where he'll be worried that he's going to be kicked out of his own band. And that's where the anxiety can be so powerful. If we say enough negative things to ourselves, we start to believe it. So someone like Jesse, who has objective success in his career across multiple bands, is still debating whether or not he's the real deal. And he talks about the coping strategies he's developed over time and is still developing, including exercise and being in nature. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. 
On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear feedback from you, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics that you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as into a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Jesse has to say. All right, so Jesse, welcome to Going There. Hey, man, good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you again. And we talked a couple of years back. And one of the things that we talked about was struggling with personal mental health issues and family mental health issues. And one of the things that we had talked about that you have spoken about publicly is that your grandfather struggled with bipolar disorder. And so I thought what we could do is just start there and talk about what that experience was and how that shaped your perceptions of your own struggles with mental health issues. Yeah, yeah, it's something that was kind of always a part of my my life, even before I, you know, I even had a language for it, which I, I believe we talked about last time too. And learning that language, and then you know, going back now, even just since our last conversation, continuing that conversation, and realizing that it is prevalent in my family as well now, currently with certain members, and then having that open discussion with my folks about their perception of it, you know, because I, obviously I had my perception as a kid than they had theirs. So kind of opening up that discussion, it was really interesting to hear how they were much more aware of it than I thought they were. And um, how you kind of develop a language over time from just talking to people. And I think communication is one thing that I've learned is super important when it comes to this stuff. Because the more dialogue you have, the more insight you gain, and essentially the more the more wisdom you have, the more tools you have to to deal with to deal with mental illness and to actually help other people understand mental illness. I think one, one thing for me that's been huge this past, you know, year and a half or so is dealing with my own anxieties and depression. And because we've, you know, slowed down our lives and I'm off the road, I have developed a whole different language, a whole different routine. And I've learned so much because there's a lot of people that were going through it, that were really going through it this past year and a half. And we're in a time now in society where this dialogue is more, um, people are more open to talk about it. So I feel like there was a ton of online therapy going on, even just on social media, Never mind, you know, you could do online therapy sessions with people and then doing podcasts with people, having discussions with people. So I feel like this, these past like 16, 17 months, I've gained a ton of knowledge and wisdom on the topic. And, and because of that, it's really helped me grow a ton. And I'm at a place of much more understanding and peace than I've ever been in my life because of it. And so let's walk people through, you know, because anxiety and depression manifest differently for different people. And so maybe if you're comfortable, you can just talk about how does that manifest for you? How does it express itself? How does it feel? Yeah. Depression, thankfully for me, has become more mild. I still have it. It's still something I, I frequently navigate. And I have a ton of tools that I've learned to help help get me out or at least lessen the effects where I'm not in bed for three or four days. I might spend a day or two in bed. I might be unmotivated. I might have dark thoughts. But 
forcing myself out of bed, forcing myself to do physical activities, having people surround me that are aware of it, that also suffer from it. You just gain this whole wealth of knowledge. It's something that it's never going to go away. It's never, I'm never just going to get rid of it. It's not going to go away, but maintaining it just like you would anything, you know, I think it's changing people's perception about what mental health is. It's not just your sad, get over it, kid. That, that whole notion that, you know, some of us grew up with. Um, but anxiety to me has been the beast. Depression is something I can sort of navigate. I'm in a much better headspace, so it doesn't affect me as much. And I have healthy habits to help that. But anxiety has been the beast for me where I realize now, and I'm still learning. It's a constant process. Anxiety is super complex. So I've learned about anger. You know how anger, people get super angry and they're frustrated because of anxiety. There's a whole other thing for me that I feel like I've been discovering through reading articles and through talking to people, helping to understand my own anxiety better, social anxiety. Because there'll be times when I'm out and about and I have this sudden flash of anger or I'll just be cross for no reason. And I've been able to analyze that and realize that's coming from a place of anxiety. Like I'm unsettled. I'm not comfortable. And that's causing me to be this way. So that's kind of been my new anxiety is the new sort of like, I need to learn about this because I suffer for from it more than I realize I do. And I have friends that suffer from it and don't even know they don't even have the terminology yet. So I'll watch their behavior. I'm like, dude, you, you got pretty bad anxiety. People just think you're a jerk, but no, I really, you're a good guy. You just don't know how to connect the things. You, you've got this crazy, you know, disorder and you're masking it with, with pills. You're masking it with booze. You're, you're doing all this self-medicating where if you just sort of like started to learn what you're going through, you could navigate it so much better, you know, and then talking to a therapist, which is huge, getting insight into it. So anxiety for me has been the big one. And it's something that, I'm continuing to learn and I'm continuing to be fascinated by it really because I think a lot more people suffer from this than they realize and it's tied to fear it's tied to being uncomfortable it's tied to like if you're running late for something you know I have that thing if I'm running late I get angry and I'm like oh and I had to break it down because I don't want to let people down so that's all tied into anxiety and that's a, that's a new thing I've really been wrestling with and digesting that fascinates me really one of the things that can happen with anxiety in general, as I, I know for me, when I get it, it, it has kind of like a wounded animal mm-hmm. feeling where the very same behaviors that I might have felt I was strong enough to accept, like people talking with me, people giving me a hug, people wanting kind of information from me, all of a sudden physically hurt. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's threatening. It's, it's, and when you when you add to that the social anxiety, which is the fear of negative evaluation, oh yeah, that goes into that. You know, it's like you know, think, imagine you know, sending a wounded animal to perform in front of people and see what happens. You know, and you kind of wondering like, hey, what's 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 going on here? You know, like what what is why is you know, I mean, not to overdo the animal part of it, but like so, like it, you know, like why is this person who was wanted to talk to me, wanted to see me, like was excited to do things all of a sudden, like, get, man, get away from me. And it's going to be bad if you don't. You right. Know? Yeah. And I've realized too, that for me, the anxiety part will, will cause me to isolate myself. And then that eventually will lead to depression. 
So it's anxiety is my trigger. So if I can learn to deal with the anxiety, I've got a better control on depression. That's totally my, I mean, everybody's different, but for me, that's usually how it is. My fear of people's judgment, my fear of letting somebody down or, you know, this weird desire to need to be liked or the imposter syndrome, all those things lead me to like, to protect myself and not have to deal with it. I will, I will disappear. I will disappear socially. If I'm on tour, I'll hide in my bunk. And I've learned that that's, it's, I get it. It's a defense mechanism, but I also realize it's something I have to work on and something I have to learn to navigate because inevitably it will spiral me down into a depression where I will be like, all of a sudden I cannot get out of bed. I have zero desire to do anything, including my favorite things like ride my bike or go hiking. And, you know, I look out my window on a beautiful sunny day and I'm like, I just don't even have this. It's not even in me. It's, and I don't feel like myself. So it's a really vicious cycle. But again, you know, I, I've learned so much about it that if I can handle the anxiety part of it, the depression part is so much easier to navigate for me. But it's it's complex, man. And sometimes I don't even realize it when I'm acting out or in it. What When you mentioned the imposter syndrome, I'm kind of curious just what that is for you. Because that that's a very common thing for people. But when you also have anxiety, it's much more threatening because not only are you uncomfortable, but you're worried that you're going to be discovered somehow. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weighted threat, you know? Yeah. It's something that's, it's, it's, it's frustrating really, because when I pull out of that situation and I sort of get over it, if you will, and I look back at it, I'm like, how did I get there? And then it comes again. And I'm like, how am I continuing to go through this? So case in point for me, it's mostly with my professional career. You know, I'll, I'll wonder if I'm good enough and I'll be around people that I look at and say, wow, these people are incredible. How am I even in this band? You know, Killswitch, for example, those guys are so talented. I mean, my partner, Adam, and everything I do, the guy, he's literally a genius. Like he's incredible at what he does and he's always encouraging me. But when I don't get that encouragement and something goes off and he doesn't say anything about it, if I don't get the it's okay thing, I'm like, he hates me. He's going to kick me out of it. Like, it goes dark and deep so quickly. And I can chuckle about it now. But when I'm in it, it's it's debilitating. It depresses me to no end where I'm like, I, my, my career is over. And it just goes from zero to 10, like within minutes. And, I, and I'll be this little dark cloud curled up in a ball, not wanting to face the world. And thank God for my girlfriend, she'll come in and go, well, what's going on? And like, she'll help pull me out of it or... If she's not around, I'll eventually make it through or I'll just text Adam and sort of be honest. And I'm sure I annoy him because of it. But, you know, I, I just need that. I need that sometimes people to tell me it's going to be OK. And it sounds so silly to someone who doesn't understand what that's like. But if I don't get that reassurance, it, there could be a good couple of days where I'm like, I'm going to quit everything. I'm so done. Like I, I don't deserve this. You know, uh, my fans are going to figure it out. Like It's. <laughs> It's so silly, but it's so serious. It's so debilitating to me. And it's something that I, on a pretty regular basis, have to navigate and almost pep talk myself, you know, like allow that positive voice to overcome the negative voice. But that negative voice is, it never goes away. It's, it's always there nagging. It's always there. I just have to learn how to muffle it, silence it, 
or talk back to it and, and, and get rid of it. But it always seems to come back and it always is challenging me in my confidence as, um, yeah, not even just professionally, sometimes just as a human being or in my own relationship. Am I a good enough lover? Am I a good enough? You know, there's all these things that will pop up and it, it destroys you and it affects you physically. I get physically sick. I get physically like cramps, uh, you know, it manifests itself in so many different ways. And again, this is like the past year and a half of me really realizing how deep this goes and talking to other people who've got it as well. And realizing that, you know, a lot of these people who have got these physical symptoms that are hypochondriacs that go to the doctor, like I'm something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. We can't figure out what's wrong with you. It's because your mind is causing these things. And that, that to me is just something that's so fascinating how that can manifest in you. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about the imposter syndrome in this particular way is if you, if you think about the negative thoughts versus what was comforting. So you are, you are in, uh, it's an unforgiving field. I mean, there's, there's, it's not like people for the most part tolerate imposters just because there are objective measures, you know, like you and I talked beforehand, like you, you guys were one of the, the last concerts I saw before the lockdown. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but there, there were, you know, the thousands of people there. You've, you've sold an objective amount of records. You, you know, have had, you've been around for a certain number of years. You make a certain amount of money for shows, get certain reviews. And yet there are all these quasi objective measures that you dismiss in favor of someone just saying it's going to be okay, mm. which is, by some level, sort of completely subjective because, you know, Adam, for lack of better saying, it can't really tell you you're not an imposter. And yet, right. and yet, and yet these, these other things effectively by definition tell you you're not an imposter. Mm. And so a lot of us operate that way where there's something about quote unquote objective information that just doesn't do it in those moments. And you need someone who you trust to say it's going to be okay. And I'm just kind of curious for you, what is it about that process that works? Whereas again, all of these clear indicators don't work. <laughs> yeah. All the obvious stuff that's staring you in the face on a regular basis of, you know, quote unquote success. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's something that baffles me. In, I, even as you just said it right there, I'm just kind of chuckling. Like he's right. Like what the hell's my issue? And I don't know. It still, it still happens. And I don't know why it is. I need somebody to tell me that. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just, I don't believe it. I, it. I don't believe my own eyes. I don't believe my own thoughts. And for some reason I'm hijacked by that and it's debilitating to me. And again, I'm, I'm, I can't help but crack a smile because if on paper, it's ridiculous, right? But it, it still happens to me on a regular basis. And I don't know what it is. It's, I, I suffer from it. I, maybe it's deep rooted in something, you know, I've oh, never felt good enough. I don't know. You know, this could go really deep. We could turn it into a therapy session, but um, I just know that it's there and I know I have to learn how to deal with it. And sometimes my only way out is just someone tell me. Someone just let, remind me that I'm, I'm good. I'm good enough for this, you know? And it's funny too, because taking the audience out of my life at first, it was like, you know, I went through phases, you know, when this thing all first hit and they sent us home at first, it was relief. I didn't have to deal with all the pressure. I didn't have to go out on stage. 
Then it was, well, who am I without this life? I've been doing this lifestyle for so long. And then I realized a lot of my life is people applauding and telling me that I'm good and telling me how the songs have meant so much. And I'm constantly fed this information, but I dismiss it. I don't hold on to it. I let it. And maybe that's a part of me wanting to stay humble, but I think to a detriment, you know, because I, I am not adding some of those positive things to my character to like build me up. So I had to sort of face all that down uh, these past 16 months or so. And at first it was really hard. I really felt like I lost myself and what am I going to do? I can't do this career right now. I've got nothing. You know, my money's going to run out soon if this doesn't kick back. And then something happened along the way there where I found some peace with it. And I can't even explain to you in words what happened, but I think a, a lot of it was just being out in nature and slowing my brain down and getting away from all the voices, getting away from the pressure, getting away from the expectations. I discovered a part of myself that I, I haven't gotten in touch with because I've been so busy. There's no time. You tour, you're home for two weeks, you tour. There's no real time. Your brain doesn't have a time to just be. And this was the first time probably in my life where I couldn't work, so I had to sit still. And it was miserable at first. I was driving myself crazy, but then it became um, absolutely amazing for my mental health. And it changed me. And now I have a different way to find peace. And it's something that I'm looking forward to applying as I move forward. But I know I'm still going to be dealing with the same issues, but I feel like I've got a, a little bit of, of a better grasp on it because of that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that happens when you have imposter syndrome is you know, first of all, when you have anxiety, when you have any emotion, it doesn't really make sense to you that counter information, I should say the, the counter information doesn't really make sense. It's like, if I'm feeling crappy and someone's saying something good to me, or there's something that's good information, it's not like, oh, okay, thanks. It's not really hitting. No, you know? like yeah. I'm connecting with the bad stuff. And when you, and when you feel anxious all the time, and you have the, the spinning thoughts all the time. You know, think about a marketing campaign. You know, a marketing campaign is like, we want you to feel a certain way with this product and want you to think a certain thing. So we're going to try as many times we can to get you to feel a certain way. We're going to try as many times we can to get you to think it, see it, you know, hear about it. And eventually you're, you're going to connect to it. You're going to want it. And, and that's kind of what's happening on an internal level with anxiety all the time. I mean, it is 24-7 advertising. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Hey, hey, pay attention. It matches how, how badly you feel, you know, and all that stuff then that happens is not a counterpoint. All of it is just a big building, building like boulder that you're just waiting for it to fall on your head. Cause that's the only thing that makes sense in those moments. You know, you're not processing it like, oh, I feel anxious, but I'm doing really well with kill switch. It's like, I'm feeling really anxious and kill switch. Nope, nope, nope. This is just just a matter of time. And the more, and the bigger sometimes people get, the more it's going to feel like a fall. That's what, that's what our brains tell us with the imposter right. syndrome. And so it's like, it doesn't do anything because again, you have this active marketing campaign that you can't get out of, you know, a lot of times, except for by doing stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Which is that slowing down. Yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely not present to people when they give me praise. I automatically have a wall up and it's, it's not good, you know, um, 
And again, I always, I think through my life of just, I've wanted to be humble, but I think it's to a detriment because you're right. It's funny that analogy. Yeah. It's just, it's this mounting thing of like that. I can't even deal with what that is. I can't even deal with my success. I don't even think about it. And when people mention it, I'm like, I poo poo it away. I'm like, ah, I don't want to talk about that. It's, that's weird. And I think that yeah, there's definitely a problem to some of that because some of that information is not soaking in and not helping me feel better about myself or just sit in reality to the fact of like, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing for 25, 26 years now. So there is like, you know, there is a foundation there. There is security. There's all these things staring at me in the face. But yet in my moments when I'm feeling that way, it's like I'm I'm thinking the absolute worst. I'm picturing myself as a has-been where my band doesn't even talk to me. Like just the the worst case scenario. And I, again, I'm starting to chuckle here because as I'm saying it, it seems so silly to me. But in those moments, it's not silly. It's, it's I'm fucking scared. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things that I think is very difficult about the way people go about it because, the, you know, trying in some ways to challenge your negative thinking on content is kind of like going to Vegas in a way. It's like, yeah, you'll go on streaks and it'll be better. But at the end of the day, the house always wins. Like if the only thing you're going to do is like work within the system of your negative thoughts, it works to a degree, but at some point it, it's just, there's just too much. There's too much happening. Whereas to some degree, it's, it's a game that you only win by not playing. You know, because for everything that you say about like, oh, but look at me and look at my success, by definition, you say, okay, well, but but what about tomorrow? Mm. What about the next day? Yeah. My success can always go away. There's always the house always wins with anxiety. You know, it's 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 sometimes you have to say, I'm I'm just not playing this game. I'm I'm slowing down my brain and I'm gonna shift. Like you're talking about going into nature. I mean, nothing changed. In, in that moment, but everything changed because you, you decided to slow down and be in a different headspace. Right. And that, that a lot, a lot of times for a lot of people, that's the only thing that really wins is being like, I'm not, I'm not playing this anymore. The more I think about it, the more I just get, I get trapped. Sometimes it's good to think about it because you can reason your way out of it. And that's a good place to start. But sometimes when you feel it's like, I'm, I'm just grinding metal here. It's like, Hmm. I got, I got to do something different. Yeah. That's partially actually a huge reason why I moved to where I moved. I mean, I'm in the Catskill mountains now in Woodstock um, because I used to live in the city. So I couldn't get that quiet nature. Like there's nothing to me, there's nothing like going out and I can do this within 10 minutes from my house, five minutes sometimes and sit and no humans around me, nothing. I'm sitting around nothing. I'm just there with myself and my thoughts and I will force myself to focus on the sound of the birds, the sound of the stream. And it's like this thing washes over me and resets my brain where the anxiety finally starts to let go. It's either that or riding, getting on a bike and just going hard on my bike, which I got bike trails all around here. And I used to come up, I would take the two hour drive to come up to this area because it was the only place where I felt like I could just like, oh, breathe again. So it's either like being a total spaz on my bike, getting really sweaty and getting those endorphins or just sitting very meditative. Like those two things are absolutely incredible for me, for my mental health. And in the winter, it's usually just bundling up and going out there anyway. But if I don't get that one, at least once a week, maybe I'm off. So it's, it's for me, it's balance. I, I need that balance. So when I'm on tour, 
sometimes I don't get that. So I've, I've smartened up and I've started bringing a bike on tour. I've started planning ahead. If I know we're going to be in a certain city that I don't know, I'll research it on Google maps. I'll find the park. You know, I, I do this, all this stuff because I know how much it helps me. And there are times I'm on tour and I'll go to the park and I'll finally get that moment. And I will just tears out of nowhere. I got no, nothing in the top of my head that's causing this, but I just feel such relief from just disconnecting and breathing and feeling that wash of relaxation come over me because my anxiety is constantly there when I'm around people or backstage or getting ready for the show or, you know, driving on the bus, thinking about the next show. It's constant, like it's exhausting is what it is. I think that's the bottom line. No. And it's, it's, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll say to people when I'm working with them is that sometimes you have to treat your anxiety. Like, like I'll say to people back when I was seeing people, you know, face to face, I'll be like, like if someone popped in and just busted in while we were talking, it's up to them to, to justify why they did that. I, I, you know, in other words, like if they come in and they're like, you know, well, have you considered like, you know, whether or not you're imposter? I was like, well, I, I, I'm in the middle of something here. Like, unless you're telling me that something's on fire, yeah. you know, I, I don't have time for this. And what, what, what you can almost imagine happening with the negative thoughts is it's kind of like that. But then people, you know, imagine I saying, oh, like, you know, you brought up the, you know, that I'm an imposter. That's an interesting point. What do you think? It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing something like you're not supposed to be here. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, you know, what you're talking about to a degree is setting that boundary a little bit, albeit in a, in a, in a physical way, right? you know, and that's what I really encourage people to do sometimes. And again, it's good to talk through and the rational versus, you know, like, like the, the more problematic parts of your thinking and could you see things a different way? Yes. But sometimes you just have to say, no, like I'm not, I'm not engaging in this. Like, I, I know how toxic this is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've got something important, I'll know. It's not, you know, it's nothing going to be subtle, but like right now, whether or not my 25 years and however many million records and however many million fans, like, I don't have to debate that right now. I'm, I'm going to go ride my bike, you know? Uh, yeah. That's funny. I love that analogy of someone bursting in the room. That's because that's exactly what it is. It comes out of nowhere sometimes. And you're like, why? Why? I love that. I'm going to keep that in mind. I like that. It's good advice. The guy that just burst in him, shut up. I'm doing something. I love that. Yeah, that's right. It's not even like, it's just like, like it's up to, it's up to you at that point to explain why you're doing this. I, I'm not, I'm not obligated because you just busted into, you know, my room. It's, it's, it's like, and, but we, but we feel obligated to our anxiety. It's like, you know, we feel like when we're, when we're having that debate, the same debate that we've had over and over again, convince ourselves, no, this is important. This is important right now for me to, to debate whether, whether Adam wants me to be in a band, you know, it's yeah. so important because it feels, because it feels important and it is on an existential level, but it doesn't mean it's important right now. Right. Know? Yeah. I just think that's it. It's worrying about what other people think so much and then telling yourself you don't, but you do. And, and, you know, again, the word exhausting just comes up. And I often wonder sometimes if, what I perceive as depression sometimes is just sheer exhaustion from my anxiety, you know, and I wonder how much of that could be a trade-off between, am I actually depressed or just absolutely exhausted from my brain? I don't know. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who think that generalized anxiety and the worry associated with that 
is pretty much the same thing as depression and the rumination associated with that. There's a lot of people who kind of think that's that's basically almost like an artificial, uh, you know, that that's that's an artificial barrier between the two that they're kind of one and the same. Mm. And I, I I talk a lot with the people I work with. I say, look, it's kind of the same thing. Worrying is you think something bad's going to happen. Depression is that you know something bad's going to happen. And sometimes if you've been worrying long enough, it's like you said, it's just like- Convince yourself almost. Yeah, it's like something bad's going to happen. It's like, all right, you know what? Something bad's going to happen. I just can't anymore. Yeah, I and give yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a trigger for me because it will. I mean, not every time, but sometimes it is. It does spiral me to like, sometimes the anxiety and I get tired and I'm down for a day and then I'm back up, I'm fine. But sometimes it takes me down for a few days and that's when I'm wallowing in it. Now, when you say wallowing, one of the things that sometimes happens for people, well, actually, let me take a step back. I feel like one of the things that people should do when they struggle with depression or severe anxiety is take those moments as opportunities for healing. I think that, you know, like when we are, you know, have pneumonia or we get a headache or any, any, any of the various quote unquote physical health issues, we always give ourselves time to heal. And, and I, I personally think that like, when you're talking about, I've been anxious, anxious, I'm exhausted to me, that's you, your body saying, Hey, I need to heal, but you're, you're calling it wallowing. Does it, does it feel like it's wallowing as opposed to healing? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. But you know, when I get out of it, I'm on the other side of it. I do feel better. So even if there is a, a time frame of what I feel is wallowing, when I finally do find my way out of it, I look back on it and I do realize, and I love that analogy of healing of when you're sick, you, your body says, stop, you got to lay in bed, lie in bed and chill. And that's usually my default thing. If I'm at that point, I'll do a, a sci-fi movie binge and I won't even want to get out of bed and I'll just watch movies and force myself to get up to go to the bathroom and eat, you know, but yeah, when I get out of it, I look back on it and I'm like, I recovered. So even if there is like a moment of quote unquote wallowing, I always seem to look back on it being like, okay, I needed to do that. And what did I learn from that situation? And how do I do better next time? And it doesn't always work, but I'm trying to, you know, cause I really do care. I want to get better. I don't want to be, and I have gotten better. I don't want to be this person that allows it to knock me down as hard as it does, you know, cause if you're doing the work, you can navigate it well enough where it's not taking you down as hard and accepting the fact that when it does take you down, like you said, be kind to yourself. Like, okay, it's okay to like sit in it for a while or heal. That's a, that's a better word. I like that heal. I'm going to switch those words around, but also the power of words, right? The, what you're thinking as you're going through it, if you see it as healing versus wallowing, it's like a necessary, it's like, this is okay. I need to do this. You know, I don't need to explain it to anyone. I don't need to apologize for it. I just need to go through it. Yeah. And then, you know, when you think about that language, and you think about where it starts, and you think about the stigma of mental illness and how people start talking about someone with anxiety, let's say. You know, if you start off saying like, oh, they're just being crazy. Oh, they're being irrational. Ugh, this again, you know? Well, that naturally ends up with, get over it. You're wallowing. I'm sick of this shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you start with like, oh, hey, you know, Jesse's struggling a bit. Something, something must have happened that triggered him you know, 
let's talk about how we can heal. Let's talk about how we can help. Let's talk about, you know, what we can do to give him the space. And it's, it's, I think we're at the beginning of that process for people, you know, and I think, you know, someone like yourself coming out and stepping up and talking about these things, but that's really when we're going to have that language of mental illness is I think when people are able to just be like, Oh yeah, you know, he's still him. That's, that's the thing that happens with the stigma of mental illness. It's like, this, you know, people say, this isn't you, you know, you're a different person. And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a different person. I'm, I'm me anxious. I'm me depressed, but I'm the same person. And the point is to help me figure out how this process heals, how this process resolves, not, uh, I just, I, I can't, you know, I can't take it. I'm a loser. I'm whatever. Cause that's, that's the cycle that most people are in now. Yeah. And you get very apologetic for everything, everything. And that's another thing I've really been working on too, is so quick to apologize for everything that happens around my mental illness. Instead, just, I should be thanking, thank you for being patient with us. You know, like the power of words, like you were just saying, I love that switching it around. That's all part of the process, isn't it? It's like training yourself to do better with it, to handle it better and being kind to yourself. And that's something that's constantly a struggle. It really is. Because, you know, when that feeling of anxiety washes over you, that familiar feeling, it's so easy to go down that neurological path that I'm so used to going down where I automatically go, here we go, this bullshit again. And instead of doing that, yeah, finding a different way to like connect the brain to, to, uh, to deal with it differently. That's the ongoing process, which is why you know, talking about it, getting therapy, that stuff is so useful because, you know, we just had a moment today where you use the word healing instead of wallow. That's a simple thing, but it's super profound. So if you can change those words out and make your brain think about those words differently, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so tough is that there's almost this collusion that takes place. You know, when we have something like anxiety, you know, we want to think we're crazy. Our, our significant others and the people close to us want to think we were crazy because if it's crazy, that means it's something that we can make not crazy, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, you know, mental health professionals want it to be crazy because then you, you can come to us for therapy or whatever it may be. So we're all, it's, 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 it's excellent. Hey, if you're crazy, it, <laughs> this works out for everybody, but you know, but, but we're not like people aren't crazy. And that's the thing I think that's so scary a lot of times for people is that, you know, oh, I like, how, how come I keep going over this? And then you think about it. It's like, look at what you do for a living. Like, what, like, why wouldn't you be anxious? Hmm. Why wouldn't you be wondering about those things? You know, it's, it's not like, you know, oh, I've been working in a certain way. Like I'm, I'm in a union or I'm a tenured professor, or, you know, I'm a partner at a firm where, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of history of, of people who can stay on almost, you know, indefinitely. And I know this, it's like, you're a, you're a musician. Like everything is always day to day, even the best of circumstances, you know? And so you even think about from that perspective, it's like, why wouldn't you be anxious about mm -hmm. things instead of just being like, Oh, you know, I'm, um, I'm Jesse, I'm doing kill such and, and, and naturally I'm anxious now, you know, we, we give those credits, you know, like you see, like the place you see it the most is with athletes. Right. And like you think of like, not, I'm not saying athletes have toxic masculinity, but let's say in like stereotypical tox toxic masculinity, it's like, you know, oh man, like, what, what are you getting nervous about? What are you, you know, 
all the names that we call people because we think that they're afraid. But if someone in the middle of a sports, you know, gets an injury, it's like, oh man, yeah, hey, hey, how you doing, man? You know, like, are you, are you okay? Like, you know, let me tell you what, let me give you the name of my physical, you know, my physical therapist and like the rehab, I mean, I iced it. You know, it's like all of a sudden everybody's so helpful because that's accepted. They can understand that type of an injury. Yeah. yeah like you, you've like, it's sort of like, okay, like, like, you know, you're, you're manly enough because you're doing the sport, you know, that, that you get to have an injury and I'm not going to think you're less manly. I'm not going to think you're less of a person. I'm not going to think you're weak, but we don't do that in mental health, even though, you know, take somebody like yourself who is at, at the top of your field and you should be getting anxious the same way that a, that a football player should be getting knee injuries. Right. Like you absolutely you should. I mean, it would be bizarre, quite frankly, if, if you didn't have to constantly work your mental health the way people have to foam roll and they have to get massages and they have to work on their nutrition and like all that kind of stuff. And we simply don't see it that way. We don't give it the space for that. But that, I mean, to me, unless, I mean, you tell me if you disagree with that, but that's, that's, that's what it seems like to me, you know? You're right. No. It, and it's still that way. And there's some people that get it, you know, the, the, cause it's changing, but there's people that still don't get that, you know? And it's almost as if I would rather just not talk about it to somebody who doesn't get it because it's frustrating and it's exhausting then to try to explain what's going on in my head. You know, it, it's just the more we change this conversation and we normalize it and we do compare it more to other types of injuries, the better off people are going to be, the better off I definitely would be as well. And you're right. Now that you put it that way, like how, how could I not be anxious about certain things? And I also do think that's why you see a lot of performers get, messed up with alcohol and drugs and because they're just trying to relax and shut their brains off. I can tell you that from experience, sometimes the quickest way from, from 10 down to zero where you're like, ugh, is just have a few drinks, pop a pill, do what you got to do. And then you're like, I'm good. I'm fine till tomorrow. And it's this temporary bandaid that we put on because there isn't an understanding of what's actually happening in the brain. And if we did treat it like a physical injury, there would be such more healthy ways to learn how to, to deal with it. Look at how we do it with athletes. You know, I, I was thinking, I think if I got this right, I think like on the Rangers, uh, Dan Girardi, like when he was in the, back when he was, this was, this was a few years ago. I mean, I think, I don't know what he did, but he like, I, he like iced his foot completely. Like it was broken, like he played with like a broken foot or something. And, you know, and I remember being like, wow, that dude, that dude, you know, that dude, went out there with a broken and how many athletes go out there. And just like you're saying, they cobble themselves together to get, you know, through the season, to get through the playoffs. And we, we applaud them so much. I'm, I'm so grateful. I mean, I don't, I don't want people to hurt themselves, but like, I'm so impressed with people who could do that. And then in the off season, they have to have these like major reconstructive surgeries. And then like five, 10 years down the road, you know, they have these like horrible injuries that, you know, people kind of forget about once they're out of the limelight. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It's like, you know, you're just talking about like, hey, if you're not getting sleep, you're not eating healthy, you're traveling every day, you're disconnected from your loved ones, you have to perform in front of thousands of people and then get up and do it the next day. You're probably doing all those things in terms of your mental health, you know, and then afterwards, it's probably like, who knows what needs to be put back together, you know? Yeah, because the the cycle is usually this and it, it it's a no fail. I'll get home from a tour and I'll still be buzzing from the high of it. 
and you know, I'll get home and I'll take my girlfriend out to dinner and then I want to do it the next day. And it's like, I'm still on that buzz of like, let's go out. Let's, let's keep this thing going. And then there's a huge crash. There's a huge crash where it's just like, Oh, my body gives out. I'm just completely drained. And then it's like fighting this exhaustion slash depression slash, Oh, here we go again. In like eight more days, I got to go do this all over again. That's a really tough, tough cycle. And a lot of musicians have to deal with it because that's the, that's the way we live, you know, and it's not just you, it's your crew. It's like, there's a lot of people relying on you. You can't get sick. You can't do it. You can't, there's no time for that stuff. And again, that's why this break, these past 16, 17 months have been so eye-opening for me, like so profound for me where, you know, I'm going to have to really approach my, my lifestyle in a very different way so this cycle doesn't continue. You know, the fact that I even took three months off of drinking and really sat with myself sober during this break and didn't even touch it and kind of was like navigating my brain without it. And I got to a point where I was like, oh, okay. I can do this. Like, why have I been relying on this so much? It's so easy just to medicate, self-medicate. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, man. Um, and then you have those people too, who are just like, you've got it so good. You're living your dream. How dare you complain? You know, you still have those people who are like, oh, let me hear the lead singer of this band complain about how hard it is for him to do his job, you know? And I laugh, but it's also like, it's hard. And that's why I think musicians need to really, band together. And I've found a lot of solace in talking to other musicians that have the lifestyle that I do and we can compare notes and talk. So that's been happening a lot lately with me because I now have a podcast as well called Stoke the Fire. And that was a huge game changer for me talking to other people who understand what the kind of lifestyle I go through and realizing that it's not crazy. Like, of course you're going to have problems and you know, you're disconnected from your loved ones and your cozy bed and your little routines that you have at home. Like that's another thing too. I love routines now. I love, I love making breakfast. I love checking the mail. I love seeing my neighbors and saying hi and going to the grocery store, things that I just don't get to do. And there's something to your brain that you get satisfaction from that familiarity. And when it goes away, that's another thing you got to deal with. So it's huge, but it's, yeah. it's all about keeping that conversation going and learning about it, you know, learning about what you're going through. Yeah. And I, I think that even, you know, the fans, because you know, look, this is happening in sports too, like with all the things that are happening about concussions, right? Like how many of us, and I, I'm, I'm one of them, so I'm not, I'm not judging anybody, but how many of us go to a sporting event, just are absolutely thrilled with the intensity of the competition. And if, you know, whether it's like hockey or football or MMA or boxing or something like that, and we're like, oh man, you see that? And we kind of know that someone's going to get hurt, but we don't really think about it later. And now there's more and more people who are coming out after the fact years later and being like, hey, like th there's, there's traumatic brain injury that's happening here, you know? And it's great that we all kind of got together and pretended that it wasn't happening, but, you know, it is. And I, I think that what's going to start happening is I don't think people inherently feel good about that. You know, I don't, I don't want my heroes to be destroyed by doing the thing that I love them for, you know, in the same way that I don't want, you know, my athletic heroes, I don't want my musicians, the people who I, you know, my rock stars, the people who I admire, I don't want them destroyed by the things that like lifted me up. And I think that like, as people recognize, and there's more conversation, I think people are going to say, Hey, like, like, yeah, like how, how can we help everyone involved do this in a way 
that not only do we get the intensity of that feeling that that's so amazing, but we can all walk away from it at the end in a way that's, that's good. And there's not some people left destroyed, especially the people who are delivering it to us. Yeah, I think you got to give people time to, well, there's technique, number one, um, as far as, you know, talking about sports or even just being, you know, because I'm the athlete of my voice. There's recovery time, there's rest, there's warm-ups, there's all these things I got to do. But also, you know, getting back to the mental part of it, when I look at like the touring lifestyle that is handed to musicians, you know, and, and we're talking about people on my level and, and lower, not like pop stars who can play a show and wait two days and play another show and wait two days and, you know, fly home and then fly back out. Like they can do all these things because they've got the money and the budget. You're talking of, a, you know, a, a mid to high level metal band. You take a break, it's going to cost the entire tour like $30,000 that day, 40000 you know. So there's a lot of pressure to stay on your game, to not get sick, to not cancel shows. And then add on, which is taxing for me, add on press to that. So the old school way is, and, you know, it's been so nice to do press for this record at my home. It's amazing. Where usually I would go out to Europe and I'm, I'm going nonstop for a week and a half, 10 to 12 interviews a day, boom, boom, boom losing my mind honestly and then if you're on tour while that's happening so you get up you do your sound check you've got three or four hours of press then you've got your meet and greet then you have a show then you got to do it all over again day after like that is the part that really you know when the conversation starts i've got to start putting my foot down and I've, I've done this i'm like this is too much for me i can't do this we've got to like spread this stuff out maybe on this day nothing like and that's the thing. Musicians are so used to just getting in the grind and doing what they're supposed to do because we're surviving. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing our best to keep this train rolling, our career. We're worried we're going to backslide. We're worried that people aren't going to care anymore. So you have all this pressure and this expectation. And even the people that work for you, like, we've got to do this. This is, this is how we do things. And the moment you just give in and go, 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 and case in point for me, go, go, go. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, I can't do it anymore. I've got to go have throat surgery. Like I'm done. That was so difficult, but so necessary and so eye-opening for me. So now, thankfully, because that happened, everyone's on high alert. So when I say I need a break and I complain or whatever, it's taken in a better way than it was prior to the surgery. And unfortunately, it took that surgery for me to be able to speak up and then for people to sort of understand that there's got to be checks and balances here. You know, the way we're doing things isn't working. So we have to modify, we have to adjust. And I think that goes for anything across the board when you're talking about entertainment or high energy sports, you, you got to navigate that, right? Or you're, you're going to burn out and, and be done or just be addicted to pain pills or, you know, that alcoholics has been musician that sits at the same bar every day and tells stories about what he used to do because he can't do it anymore. Like that, that scares the shit out of me to ever become that person. The only way that's going to happen is if I start to put my foot down and, and let people know that you want this to keep going. You want this money train to keep rolling. We've got to change things. We've got to do things differently. You've got to loosen up and let me breathe or I'm going to lose my mind. So that's been a huge lesson for me. And that's one of the things that I'll tell people because, you know, people think of boundary setting as almost like a hateful act. You know, it's like if I say I don't want to be as close in a relationship you know, that's mean. If I, if I say that, I don't, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about New York City, like the entirety of New York City is designed to see how much of your physical, emotional and spiritual well-being you can give up to, you know, to survive and thrive in that environment. 
you know? So like the idea that people have is that setting boundaries is either mean or dysfunctional. But I, you know, what I say to people is it's, it's one of the kindest things you could do for someone is to let them know what needs to happen so that the good things between you, whether it's a person or fans or even a business, that those things can sustain, you know, because when people ask those things, they're not asking being like, oh, could you do this? Like, could you get together tomorrow night? And uh, I assume that after we get together that one time, you'll never want to see me again because you'll be so sick of me. You know, nobody, nobody assumes that, you know? And so there's something that's kind of being like, Hey, you know, I need, I need a little break so that this can go, you know, and, and, and people just, it's tough, man. It's tough because we're, we're encouraged to break down our boundaries until we, you know, obviously just break down. Yeah. And you're encouraged to suck it up and take one for the team. That's the big one. Take one for the team. We're all relying on you to do this. If you don't do it, we're going to be let down. And Sometimes that's just assumed. It's not even said. But if you speak up, I feel like you'd be surprised that the people that surround you are like, whoa, well, just say something. We don't want you to like, we don't want this for you. Why did you think that? And I think that's, you know, going back to the to the anxiety and the imposter syndrome thing has driven me to do things that if my bandmates or my managers or my team around me knew I was going through that, they would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I can remember nights spitting blood into the sink, coming off set, you know, the stage, and everyone's in the dressing room after the show, like, toweling off and being relieved, and I'm in the bathroom, like, in tears, like, I just spit blood again. I'm not telling anybody. I'm just going to go have a drink. I'm going to go to sleep. This is going to be fine. It's gonna be, I don't want to, like, alarm anyone. I don't want to bother anyone. So they're going to get mad at me. They're going to be like, oh, now we can't do the show. I need to, can't, I have to go to the doctor. All those things. So instead of just dealing with it, I would just like, no, I'm going to go drink, get drunk, have fun, be the life of the party, and then we'll just figure it out tomorrow. And I did that for a long time. And then it finally, like, oh, now you need surgery because you've been doing this. And then when you start talking about it with people, they're like, why didn't you say something? Why didn't we just stop and, and you get the help you needed? So partially it's, you know, the expectations that are put upon you. But the other side of it is like, it's you. You as the athlete, you as the performer, you need to like set your boundaries and speak up for yourself and protect yourself because in essence, is it more selfish to just keep your head down and go, go, go. Then you're done. You can't do anymore. And everyone around you doesn't have a job or do you take a quick break, reconfigure things. And this thing could go for another 10 years. So that's kind of where I've been at with it is like the moment I'm like nervous to speak up. I think about that. It's like, if we want this to keep going, if I speak up now, it's going to prevent injury. So I've just got to do it. So you know, screw my anxiety, screw my, all my imposter syndrome, just say it and see what happens. Let's do this. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at these days for the most part. I still have a little bit of an issue with it, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an uphill battle, but um, it's one that I'm proud to still fight and be on because I'm still here. I'm still making music. I'm still doing it. And I'm super grateful for that. But um, you know, it's not easy and not everybody wants to hear that it's not easy, but again, this conversation, these types of conversations, the more we have them, the more people will understand what's going on. Uh, man, Jesse, it's great to talk to you again. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. No, thank uh, you. Each time I talk with you, I learn a little bit more. So, Well, likewise, today was eye-opening for me as well, man. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Best of luck with everything. Thanks, brother. Have a great day, man. So there it is. Jesse Leach of Killswitch Engage and Times of Grace talking about his struggle with anxiety and depression and fighting against imposter syndrome. 
There's a lot to take away from the conversation with Jesse. But one of the most important things that Jesse discusses is how he sees his building his mental health as an ongoing process. And because he's put in so much time and effort, he can say, okay, I can do this. This does get better. And this is so important, especially during National Suicide Prevention Week. In past interviews, Jesse has talked about having suicidal thoughts and being in really dark places. But through his work, he's been able to resist the urge to give in to hopelessness and despair. And for many of us, just being able to hang on a bit longer and work on our mental health just a bit longer will give us that opportunity to get to the other side and feel like we can do this. We can live, we can cope, we can feel better. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live, Consequence, and American Foundation for Suicide Prevention websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.